the Bible, it's Psalm 19 that Joan is going to be reading to us. Over Thank to you, you Joan. I've unmuted. Um, and it's for the yep. director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants, servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here ends Thanks. the lesson. Thank you so much, Joan. That wonderful psalm, so much in it. Uh, over to to you, Andrew, uh, we look forward to what you will share with us. Good. I'm going to ask Derek, I need to share my screen. So <clears throat> hopefully. I've, I've stopped sharing. Yeah. Good. Now, can you see my screen? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Good. So we're, we're, we should be free to go. If anything goes wrong, just uh, Derek, just uh, not Derek, or either Derek or Steve, let me know. But okay. hopefully you'll see my slides now. So I've chosen Psalm 19 because, to me, it, it's sometimes known as the, the psalmist's psalm. Although, as you'll see, it's very much in a, a psalm in two halves. It's the first half is God revealing himself through his works, the creation. That's verses one to six. And then the second half is the book of God's words, uh, how God reveals to himself in scripture. Mm. And then he ends. Uh, oh, I've got to get my pointer working. Hang on. That should do. Uh, he ends with uh, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, and I hope all our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that's very much my prayer this morning, that as we look at this um, psalm, uh, our meditation will be pleasing in God's sight. Mm. Now, th this psalm is very much at the, the, the behind some profound words spoken by um, 
uh, Francis Bacon, a, a, a polymath in the 16th century. And, and he said this, God has laid before us two books or volumes to study if we will be free from error. First, the scriptures revealing the will of God, then the, cre the creatures expressing his power. And so this morning, what I want to do briefly is to look at how this psalm uh, tells us the way God speaks through both his creation and through scripture and see how they're related. And then at the end, I want to see how the word of God that speaks through creation and speaks through scripture becomes human flesh in Jesus. So that, that's where we're going, I hope. Now it starts with the, the word of God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The word of God in creation. Because one of the problems we have in um, Western societies is we often live in cities and when we look at the, the night sky, we have all sorts of problems with the uh, light pollution. And we don't really see the, the stars and the galaxies in the same way that probably they would have done in biblical times. But if you've ever been to somewhere like, um, I don't know, a tropical region or up in the mountains in the complete dark, you get an incredible vision of what the, the stars on the sky is really like. And I guess that's really what um, there, and for some reason, I'm, yeah. this would have been something like the stars when you're looking up in uh, biblical times. And so it was very easy for the psalmist to say, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge because it was just a quite phenomenal sight, the night sky. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And I remember I went to uh, a conference in the tropics and I was out on the beach uh, one night and I looked up and it was just, you couldn't help but worship God. And it is true that as you stare up in amazement, people throughout the whole of our world will be seeing this amazing sight, especially if they don't have the light pollution. And so the psalmist says there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Wherever you are, you catch a glimpse of the majesty of God in the, the, the sky at night. In fact, throughout history, that the, the planets, the stars, the suns and moon have been, have really fascinated humans. Then many, many cultures, uh, including our own, sadly, uh, they've been used to predict the future in astrology. In others, they've been used or thought of as gods. They've seen particularly the sun as, as a god in its own right. But that's not true for the psalmist, for him, the creation, the stars give an indication of God's glory. It's not, they're not gods in their own right, but they point to the glory of their creator. They speak of his infinite wisdom. And it's God who causes the sun to rise and set each day, providing the, the light and heat which we rely on. And so he says in uh, the verse um, four to six, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The immense 
power and visibility of the sun has meant that in many cultures it has been regarded as divine. The psalmist is making quite clear here that it's not divine. God created it, but it is a symbol. The penetrating light of the sun is a symbol of the totality of God's rule over creation. It's interesting that one of the very distinctive features of the Genesis account of creation is its insistence that the sun, the moon, and also the stars were created by Almighty God, and they are not divine entities. They're created by, by God and continue to proclaim his glory by their majesty, their universality, and their regular movements. I think observing the heavens should be a constant reminder to us of the all-powerful God whom we worship, who could create a world like this. Elsewhere, the psalmist puts it this way. He determines the number of the stars, and he calls them each by name. Grace is our God, grace is our Lord, and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Now, we may not have quite the same clear view of the stars that the psalmist did, but we in our 21st century have an amazing understanding of what lies behind these incredible number of stars we see in the sky because of things like the Hubble telescopes and more recently the, the Webb telescope. And they are showing us incredible things about the universe. They look back billions of years. They tell us about the very earliest stage of the galaxies forming. And when you look at that picture, you see what you think are stars, but the, the telescope can home in on what you think is a star and you discover it's not a star, it's a galaxy. And within that galaxy, there are billions more stars. It is just phenomenal. Mm. And so we can rejoice in God's creation and the heavens declaring the glory of the God in a way that the psalmist never could. So I just thought I'd share some pictures with you of, of, that have come from the Hubble. Just some of the amazing pictures that we get. That's just a whole load of galaxies, as you can see there. Some of them created maybe nine 11 billion years ago, it's taken that amount of time for the light to reach us. And you can ask me how we know that later if you want, but that's the, the scientific view. Amazing pictures of nebulae and galaxies and just extraordinary, uh, the, the, the scale of those are billions of miles across some of them. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Beautiful pictures of galaxies, a supernova of all sorts of shapes and sizes spiraling out, just amazing. And we can see this with our telescopes in a way that the psalmist never could. Just beautiful pictures. And the latest telescope, the, the web is producing even more phenomenal pictures and going back even further in time. Just quite extraordinary. So with the knowledge we have, it's even easier, I think, to say the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Because it's not just astronomy that reveals the majesty of our creator God. Just think of those wonderful modern um, wildlife programs with uh, David Attenborough. We were talking about him in our little discussion group. That brings the amaz amazing variety and wonder of the animal kingdom and some of the extraordinary uh, shapes, sizes, and, and so on, and behaviors of, of 
that created all that into our living room. It's just amazing. And the modern photographic techniques that allow us to see in such detail. And um, you can look down the microscope and as a scientist who sometimes looks down a microscope, I mean, the beauty doesn't stop. We were talking about the levels in our discussion, but you, you look behind what you see and there's another level of complexity and beauty. And then again, right down to the atomic level, at subatomic level, and it is just amazing. I look inside cells and look at some of the structures which are like miniature machines. You can't see them, they're, they're far too small to see, but they're acting as machines like turbine rotors and um, things like that. It's just phenomenal. And so it's not difficult, I find as a scientist, to, to see the work of the master craftsman at work in his created order. Psalm 104, verse 24 puts it this way, how many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. It is truly amazing. And I suppose I'm particularly privileged because as a scientist, I'm able to, to look at it in much more detail and understand what lies behind the surface. And so I can very much identify with Psalm 111 verse 12, which says this, great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered or some translations studied by all who delight in them. And as, as I look at the creation in my scientific work, I can't help but see behind it the master craftsman. And I thank God and it, it, it helps me to worship him because of what I see. And that's a view held by a lot of scientists who are Christian. I think it was put up, uh, put beautifully by Johann Kepler, the astronomer, many, uh, well, about four centuries ago, when he said, as a scientist, I am thinking God's thoughts after him. I'm understanding something of how that master craftsman works. So, great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. That is the first part of the psalm. But it doesn't stop there, of course, because we go on to the second half, where he talks about the law of the Lord, God speaking through scripture. And the word he uses here, the law, is actually the Torah, or its real meaning is instruction or revealed will. And it, it's instruction with divine authority. It has the force of law. <clears throat> now, the idea of instruction is helpful because I think a lot of us think of the law as very negative, negative rules, thou shalt not. But no, instructions are for our good. It is to help us to make the best out of life. And if you don't obey the instructions, you offer suffer the consequences. I don't know if you're like me, but when I get a new piece of kit, or get uh, a new computer or a new gadget, I'm so enthusiastic. I want to start getting it working straight away. And I don't always read the instructions and it nearly always goes wrong. I'm too impatient. And sometimes the uh, results can be disastrous. I thought you might like this little cartoon. This is from Hoffman, Gerald Hoffman, where uh, the uh, maestro is trying to put up his music stand. And, and you may remember these old music stands, which are very difficult to put up. And he tried his best, but he obviously hadn't read the instructions and he pinched his fingers, he pinched his nose, he was generally making a right mess of it, um, ending up with a complete and utter disaster. And eventually, after a lot of uh, false attempts, he ends up getting it together for huge applause and a few bruises. And I rather like that little offering. But that better to use the instructions than to get into that sort of mess. And we all know this, really. I mean, if you 
put diesel into a petrol car, it's disastrous. If you haven't read the instructions, you were to do that. As a loving parent, we tell our children not to put their fingers in the electric socket for a very good reason. So negatives they may be, but they're instructions that are for our best. And that is what the law of the Lord is all about. So let's look very briefly, and I'm gonna go through this quite fast, of what this Psalm tells us about the law of the Lord. And I'm gonna be very reliant here on Derek Kidner, who wrote a really excellent commentary on the Psalms. And what he suggests we should do as we look at this Psalm is look at the words used, first the nouns, then the adjectives, and then the verbs. So we're gonna start with the nouns that are used to describe the law. And I'm just gonna go through these very quickly, but I hope it'll give you a flavor of how remarkable the word of God in scripture is. Starts with the word law, which we've seen is the comprehensive term for, for God's revealed will for our, our good, our instruction for our good. And he goes on, talks about them as testimony or statutes in verse seven. And this refers to the, um, the truth declared by God himself when he made his covenant promises to Moses. We go back into Exodus and then repeat it in Deuteronomy. That's his fundamental instructions that he gave to Moses. And then we have the words precepts and commandments. And that speaks of his precision and authority with which he addresses us, his people. And then we have the fear of the Lord in verse nine. And that emphasizes the response of reverence that is fostered by his word. We come to him reverently because of who he is, and what he said. And then we have the ordinances or judgments in verse nine. And these technically are the judicial decisions God has recorded about various human situations. What the correct way of behavior is in particular areas, particularly ethical of life. So if you put all these together, what are these nouns telling us about scripture? They're saying that the, 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 the practical purposes of God's revealed revelation in scripture, it's to bring God's will to bear on the hearer and to evoke a response of intelligent reverence, well-founded trust and detailed obedience. So those nouns tell us a lot, but then look and see what happens with the adjectives. The first thing he says is that the law is perfect. Verse seven, it's revealing God's flawless wisdom, love, motivation, and power. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect, it's God given. But it's also trustworthy, verse seven. It can be relied on never to let us down. What else does it say? It's right, verse eight. It forms an objective basis for our morality and ethics. We know how we should live objectively because of what God has told us. We're not reliant on what other people say. It's radiant, it says in verse eight. It provides clarity and illumination in our decision-making. And then it's pure, it's sure and righteous, verse nine. It's without fault, always applicable, totally dependable. And the final adjective is precious and sweet like honey. It's of infinite value, usefulness, and it brings pleasure. It brings pleasure, that's the thought, isn't it? 
because it is bringing us God's standards, which are what is best for us. So summing that up, what are these adjectives telling us? They're all qualities that are in stark contrast to the compromise in sincerity and half-truths of human communication. And we've just got to look at some of the state of our political debate at the moment. And you see that. But then finally, <clears throat> the verbs. What are the effects of reading scripture? Well, the psalmist says to begin with, it revives the soul, verse seven. Reading scripture is uplifting. It's spiritually refreshing as we meet with God. But it makes us wise. We learn from a divine teacher rather than flawed human wisdom. And it brings joy. We experience life as it was meant to be lived, and that's joyful. It brings light. We've already seen about illumination, but we discern God's ways and perspectives in a world darkened by sin. The law of God, scripture, brings light. And then, verse 9, it endures forever. We understand God's ways that transcend time and culture. It's eternal. It's not something that current culture will change. It may change the way we understand the detail, but not the underlying eternal principles. And then it warns, verse 11, we are made aware of actions that will harm us so that we can avoid them. And then finally, it says, keeping them brings great reward. We will get the best out of life if we live according to scripture, according to the law of God. So those are a what remarkable set of thoughts that come out of that passage. And I know it's very concentrated, but I, I just wanted to give you a feel and um, of just how wonderful that Psalm is in bringing out what scripture is all about. It's, it's just fantastic. So our overall conclusion from those last uh, verses, scripture reveals God's ways to us and allows us to live life as it was intended. And that means a happier or rewarding life. It's so much more than a book of instructions. It evokes admiration and awe. And really importantly, it leads to a personal response to God. But the psalmist ends by saying, yeah, actually, we don't really live up to that law. We don't uphold God's standards. So he prays for forgiveness and for God's help in keeping his law in the future. And that should be our response. He says, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And then he ends the Psalm by giving himself back to God in the words of verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He wants to put all of himself in God's hands to live the sort of life that God wants and that is best for us. And in those thoughts, it leads him back to his confidence in God as his source of strength, my rock, 
But importantly, his source of forgiveness, my redeemer. And I want just to finish with that word redeemer and come back to the word of God. Yes, in creation. Yes, in scripture. And of course, ultimately and fundamentally, the word of God in his son, Jesus, who is our redeemer. The creative word of God, the word of God that spoke into creation. Remember Genesis, each day began, God said. John tells us, God said, is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the word of God. The word of God revealed in creation because he was involved fundamentally in the creative purposes. Jesus is the word who speaks through scripture. But of course, ultimately, Jesus becomes the incarnate word. Verse 14 of John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word of God active in creation, active through scripture, becomes human. He denied himself. He humbled himself and became human. That is truly an amazing thought. Not only, of course, does it model God for us. If you want to know what God is like, we can see it in Jesus. But of course, ultimately, the word of God who became flesh who had been involved in creation, now becomes the agent of recreation. He recreates because of what he did on the cross. And through what he did on the cross, the word of God, Jesus, brings us into a relationship with him as children of our heavenly father. And so we read in John 1, 12 and 13, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That is to me truly amazing. The psalmist has shown us the word of God in creation. The psalmist has shown us the word of God in scripture. John reminds us that that word of God is Jesus himself. And he becomes the Logos who comes into this world. And the God that caused creation now becomes in Jesus, the God who brings us recreation, forgiveness, and the opportunity to be children of God and live in eternity with him. That is something to praise God for. And what a glorious and amazing truth to leave us with. There I will end and stop sharing my screen. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, that was just wonderful, wonderful.